Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sirah, and much more. Welcome everybody from around the world. My name is Bilal Abdul Karim, and we are here for OGN. Everybody, we are broadcasting northern Syria, and we are broadcasting live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We're happy to have everybody. We have a very special guest here uh, today. Um, he is my friend and my brother, and I'm very, very happy that he agreed to do this interview. He is a prominent member of his Tahrir in the United Kingdom, and his name is Taji Mustafa. I'd like to say to you, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you, my brother? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Amin. I'm good. Alhamdulillah. Allah is looking after us all. Well, it seems as if uh, he, he's looking out for you because um, I saw a very interesting um, uh, a conference uh, that you participated in. Mashallah, it was well it was well attended. I think that was in the UK. Is that right? It was. Alhamdulillah, we had a, a conference in Birmingham and London. The title was from Al Hind to Al Quds. Uh, you know, people feel the problems of the Ummah. We see what's going on in Al Hind in India. India is now on the radar of Muslims torture, killings, this Hindutva right-wing government and what it's doing to our Ummah there. And also we see things in Al-Quds. We see what's going on in Palestine. We see what's going on in Syria. We hear about the Rohingyas. And so this conference was really to bring together Muslims and say, you're part of this Ummah. You feel this problem. What can we do? What is the way forward for the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? And the key issue we addressed really was nationalism stops us acting as one and helping each other. So Alhamdulillah, there's a great turnout. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The work carries on. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to ask you about modern day nation states. We understand that in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there were tribes. But we can't say that America's a tribe anymore. It's grown beyond that. The United Kingdom is beyond a tribe. So my my question to you, and this is a topic that we're going to be discussing here today, is modern day nation states, are they helping or are they hurting the ummah? Let's start there. What is your opinion in that regard? I think, uh, number one, I think really is to say that, you know, it's interesting that you say modern day nation states. And when you say modern, people think, oh, modernity, something new. And this is new for us in terms of to use in Islamic terms, we use with ibadah a lot. We say this is bidah. We have in the Muslim world today borders between Muslims. Only a few hundred years ago, a Muslim could travel from Al-Andalus, Muslim Spain, travel through Turkey, what is Turkey today, travel all across those lands all the way to Baghdad without needing a passport, without needing a visa. And when a Muslim woman was harmed under the rule of the Romans, a Khalifa in the time of the Muslim Ummah sent an army to Amoria to rescue and to defend one Muslim woman. So Muslims saw themselves as one, behaved as one. We believe in one Quran. We believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We believe in one Sunnah, the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Um, now, we fast forward to today, we are divided. We're witnessing atrocities across the world. And we're told from when we're young that you're Sudanese, Pakistani, you're Arab, you're this. I'll give you an example, my brother. I, I, I was born in the UK, but I grew up in Nigeria when I was young. And every day in school, we used to recite the pledge. You put your hand up, or what, I can't remember what we used to do, but you recite the pledge in school. I pledge to Nigeria, my country, to be faithful, loyal, and honest, to serve Nigeria with all my strength, to defend her unity and uphold her honor and glory. So help me God. So from a young age, it was put in your mind, you're Nigerian, you're not next door, you're not Cameroonian. And the disaster of this idea, Allah says, ikhwa, we are one ummah, one ikhwa, one brotherhood. The disaster of this idea of nationalism is it has made us become bystanders when we watch and see the killing, rape, murder of Muslims elsewhere. And where you are in Syria is a good example. Right. Saudi, Jordan, Turkey right next door. Muslims who have been slaughtered in Syria, where on our phones, we could see what was happening. It wasn't like the age of the camels where we didn't know what was going on. But yeah, people said, Erdogan can't act, brother. You know, he needs to look after the Turks. But, you know, Egypt is for the Egyptians. So nationalism is a new idea which divides us, stops us seeing each other as an ummah and contradicts the Quran, the Sunnah, and the unity that Islam came and brought for us. And it's high time we really question this new idol of our age. What if somebody were to say, um, look, in the time of the Prophet Wasallam, they had different uh, tribes. They had Aus, they had Khazraj. And when they would go into battle sometime, they would have uh, different banners. So maybe they would say that, okay, so th this shows this is not a new thing, that um, it's okay to have these boundaries. What would you say to that? Okay, so it's an interesting point. Tribes. There are tribes, there were tribes, there will be tribes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made us come from tribes, different languages, different lands, different races. That's fine. When Islam came, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came, he did not eradicate that. But what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said very clearly is that what comes first, what comes second, what comes last is an Islam. Your tribe, my tribe, my race, my ethnicity, the country that I come from cannot be put above Islam. I cannot say those are foreigners. No, we are one ummah. So in the Prophet's time, when the tribes fought together, they fought for what cause? To make the banner of jihad high. When they went for jihad, they went for jihad as a unit with what objective? Not a tribal objective. The objective right. of making the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala high. So I think people must be very clear not to conflate tribe and nation. The nation state but is a new modern construct. In the Muslim world, there was no such thing. Somebody from where you are, my brother, in, in, in Syria, you guys, you know, your news report, sometimes you remind us you are in Bilad al-Sham. So yes. the person in what is Lebanon today, what is Syria today, what is Palestine today, they had a wali, they had a governor who was linked to the Khalifa. This was a wilaya, a province of the Ummah of the Khilafah. Today we have a nation state which was drawn up by the British, the French who occupied our land. And we are told to be proud of that, to go and fight for that. SubhanAllah. This, 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 this totally contradicts the Quran, the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In, in, in your uh, estimation, what's the way forward? Because I, I agree with you. You know, we saw a lot of this when, um, when Imran Khan uh, was the president um, or the prime minister of Pakistan. And he was frequently asked about the Uyghurs. 
um, in, uh, I wouldn't say Northern China, I'd say in East Turkestan, or occupied Northern China. Um, and he would be asked about that. And he always went a little to the left, a little to the right, never really wanted to answer it, tried his best to get away from it. And this was a big problem. A lot of people had a, had a problem with that, and I had a problem with it. But then his thing was, I am the president of Pakistan, not the entire world or the entire Muslim Ummah. And I can see that's exactly a point where we just lose out. Absolutely. Um, brother, it was, I'm trying to be kind. It was disgusting when I saw, when you see, you saw those interviews with Imran Khan or this or that channel. And sometimes he defended the Chinese, that this is the internal affairs of China. Since when did the killing, rape and murder of Muslims become the internal affairs of this or that country? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Hujarat reminds us that we are one ummah. Allah reminds us in the Quran, If Muslims somewhere ask you for help in the deen, you have to help them. It's a duty to help. So to say this is the internal affairs of China, they are ripping, raping, killing, stopping people fasting in Ramadan, arresting atrocities. This is a crime against the ummah. This is a crime against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's number one. It's not acceptable. And many Muslims in Pakistan did not accept this. That shows that within the Ummah, there's this goodness. There's this feeling of Ummah. We go to one Ramadan. We have one Ramadan. We go to one Hajj. We're going to, inshallah, in a few days' time, we're all going to be fasting, bi'idnillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala, on Yom, Yom Ashura. So the Ummah, there's a lot that links and reminds us. And when we hear and we see people who pray and fast like us, who say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, and then a leader comes along and says, it's none of my business, they are the Chinese issue. People thinking, what's this? So that's a goodness in the Ummah. But number two, that brings us to the point that it shows that the rulers today are true believers in the nation state. They are true believers in the borders that divide us. The, The way we believe in Allah, I'm not saying whether they're Muslims or not. That's not my discussion. But they believe that there's borders, you can't remove them. These borders, they're inviolable. They are sacred. Says who? The Durand line, the McMahon line that divides Afghanistan from Pakistan, Pakistan from India, are new creations. were created in 1947. So the rulers who uphold them try to remind us. But we need to remind ourselves from Islam, from the Quran, from the Sunnah. The last point I'll make on this, this nationalistic thinking has not led any Muslim country to success. Right. Pakistan today is indebted to China over the building of links and this and this and this. So even this licking up to the boots of the Chinese, where has it led Pakistan? Pakistan today is running to the IMF, is running to the World Bank. Pakistan today is suppressed. Pakistan today, people are suffering. America flies over Pakistani airspace. What kind of humiliation do we have? So this nation state, not only Pakistan, which Muslim country is a beacon for the world, is an example for humanity, is a place where the Sharia is implemented. In the absence of the Khilafah system that implements the Sharia, this is the reality that we have, a sad, un-Islamic reality. Now, you know, I want to talk about uh, the Khilafah point in just a second, but I want to go back a couple of years ago. Maybe if you remember, the GCC, I mean, the Gulf countries, I'm talking about Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, uh, Kuwait, Bahrain, and Oman. Um, these are very immensely, immensely rich countries. And they had an idea. This is back in, I would say, 2008, 2009, that they were going one currency. 
that it was going to be just one currency for the entire uh, uh, GCC countries. Step in the right direction. Sounds good. Do you remember why that um, idea never went forward? Do you remember why? I can't remember, but I can give you many reasons why whatever these, these nations float will never succeed. Well, look, I'll tell you what, man. The Saudis said that the main office is going to be in Riyadh. Okay. The Emiratis said the main office is going to be in Abu Dhabi. They fought over it. They couldn't agree on it. And they canceled the idea because of where the main office is going to be. Millions of Muslims lost out on an opportunity to have some type of unity, even if they don't necessarily agree on everything, because they couldn't agree on where the main office was going to be. Well, and that really, that really shows that for these rulers holding on to their posts and within the borders, that is what gives them meaning and legitimacy. Because when you say unity, the, the, the Saudi ruler is thinking, I'm going to have to share with the Kuwaiti, the Qatari, da, 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 da. and the Qatari thing's the same. So what we feel, nationalism divides and weakens us. And one of the biggest examples of the problems we face and that embeds nationalism in our lands, nationalistic politics, borders, are the rulers. Because if you think about it, bro, um, when Muslims, when the Prophet wasallam was insulted by the French, the Charlie Hebdo and those other things, Muslims in Syria, Muslims across the world were boiling, were upset. Yet we find that all the nation states in the Muslim world continue to deal with the French government, business as usual. Some words of condemnation and that's it. So they remind us that whilst the Ummah increasingly wants to become united, whilst we increasingly are challenging the ideas of nationalism in our minds, we're trying to remove the borders in our minds, we have to remove the borders in our minds, we have to see each other as Muslims, as the Quran and the Sunnah says, but also we have to remove the physical borders that stop us. And the physical borders, really, this is the rulers. And on, they have to be on the agenda. And as long as they are there, they remind us and they entrench and they maintain these borders rather than uniting the Ummah. This Ummah is a huge potential. You know, if you unite the Gulf countries, um, there, there's, there's, a, there's a video on the web, on, on, on online nowadays, and somebody's done a video, some, some non-Muslims done a video, and the person has said, if you combine from Morocco all the way to Saudi Arabia, if you combine the economies, if you combine the populations, they're saying this would be like the, the, the seventh largest economy in the world, the, the fourth largest population. Even non-Muslims see our potential, the potential of right. the Muslim Ummah, the Ummah of Islam. But unfortunately, the borders that divide us mean we're divided and not able to solve and address any of our problems, as Islam said. Now, one of the uh, points that uh, the group Hizb Tahrir speaks about oftentimes is the need for Khilafah. I don't think that you'll find anybody uh, from the Muslim Ummah, or <laughs> generally speaking, um, who's going to say, no, we don't need Khilafah. No, nah, no, nah, there's no need for that. Nobody will really say that. But what practical steps would you say needs to be taken from where we are right now, as you so eloquently put, that they have the, the, the leaders who, are, who love the nation states because they've got their own little kingdoms, the population who's accustomed to nation states and they're, they're creatures of habit. How are we going to take these initial steps from your estimation towards reaching that stage of 
Khilafa, because that's the end goal. What are we going to do, I'm saying, in 2022 to 2025 in order to start reaching some of these goals? Excellent question. The answer for this and everything is like the answer for our salah. You know, when we, if, we, if we have a discussion, how do we pray? Pray as you see me pray. So for any issue the Muslim faces, and he wants the blessing and the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have to follow the example of the best of men, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In Mecca, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did the following. In Mecca, he was a man, few followers, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, few sahabas. And then you fast forward a few years later in Medina, he was the leader of a state, entered Medina as a ruler. And so the scholars in the Hizb and the scholars in the Ummah have studied and said, how did the Prophet get from A to B, weakness to power, single man with a few sahabas to leading a nation, uniting the black and the black and the red and the whoever else and carrying Islam to mankind. Three steps that they identify. Number one, the Prophet and his group, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, gathered, embodied this Islam. They started to challenge the isms, the idols of their age. They were bringing a new way of life, Islam, the Islamic way of life. But the Quraysh had a current way of life. So they would go to the marketplace. Why do you cheat people? Why do you oppress? Why is it that you divide between the black and the white? Why is it that the powerful oppresses the, the weak ones? So they would challenge the existing practices of the society, number one. Number two, because when they're doing that, number one, they're introducing to the society that there is an alternative. This man, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, has come with something new. Listen up, people. It's not the way you're following. This is wrong. There is an alternative. Number two, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in the time of Hajj would go out to meet the Arab tribes who would come. Banu Abr bin Sasa, Banu Shayban, Banu Khinda, Banu Kalb. He would go and meet them and have a very specific discussion with them. Right. I invite you to follow Islam. I invite you to support my dawah, to give me authority. And he invited many tribes. And some of the tribes, when they understood, he wants to come to our place and be a ruler. Some of them were like, whoa, whoa, you're asking for something big. And if we support you, everybody's going to be against us. So some of them put conditions. And the Prophet ﷺ said no. Until this message reached the people who came from Yathrib. Those people said, Ya Rasulullah, all right. Yes. Oh, you're coming with a new way. It unites people. It's from Allah, the Lord of the heavens. Mm-hmm. It has solutions from mankind. We believe in you. Ya Rasulullah. We believe in you. So when they said yes, the Prophet made hijrah and he entered Medina from day one as a ruler, establishing the Islamic State. From mm-hmm. that, we deduce three steps. Number one, there needs to be a group that works within the Ummah, like the Sahabas were. Hizbut Tahrir and other groups need to do this job. Number two, that group needs to be in the society, within the Muslim Ummah, challenging the erroneous ideas. Challenging nationalism that divides us. Challenging the fact that we don't rule by the Sharia in the Muslim world. Challenging the fact that Western states occupy and dominate us economically, politically. That Allah's Sharia is not implemented. And bringing the alternative, the Khilafah. So challenge and engage. Through that, as the Sahaba did, you weaken the current isms, the current idols, the current means of division and non-Islam. You strengthen the desire. The desire of the Ummah to want to live by Islam. But number three... Okay, fine. People want Islam. People desire it more and more. Alhamdulillah, we see the Ummah. That is happening in the Muslim Ummah today. But really, to get to the reins of power and establish a state, the current state has to be removed. So those who support the current state, people in the army, in the Muslim world, tribal chiefs, industrially, people who hold real power, more than me, more than you, like the Aws and the Khazraj in Medina, in, in Yathrib, 
We have to contact them. So we also contact them as the prophet did to get this word to reach them, to awaken their iman. What's the matter with you? Why are you subjugated to America? Why do you help Mubarak? Why do you help Sisi? Why do you help this one? Why do you help Al-Saud? And one day when those people are convinced, and like the Ansar, they tell one of these rulers, time is up. He either has to get on a plane and leave or get arrested. And they will declare from today, the Khilafah, the rules will be the Sharia. There is a new leader in this land. People will give bay'ah and you will have a new dawn. This will happen in one Muslim country. And over time, will come to unite the rest of the Muslim world. So the Prophet's example is what to follow. These three steps are what we derive from the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that's what we've been doing since 1953. Alhamdulillah, you know, the, the end result, the day the Khilaf will be established is in the hands of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. But me, you, and all the people watching, we have to plant seeds, join this work, inshallah ta'ala, and make dua that Allah makes its success soon, inshallah. Uh, inshallah. What do you think if some people say, and this is a really interesting question because um, I want to go to a couple of the comments that are here. If somebody will tell you, um, look, why don't you guys work with the Salafis? Why don't you work along with the, the, uh, the different groups? Um, is that something that uh, happens? Because a lot of people don't know about his They may have heard of them, but they not necessarily know what they're all about. Um, in terms of working alongside other groups that may have different ideologies, um, are you, how do you say, what do you say about that? We work with, we say this is the Ummah's project. This is not the project. The project to bring back Islam, the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Fard, this duty, is a duty on the Ummah. It has been more than 80 whatever years, since 1924 when the Khilaf was abolished, Right. Allah's Sharia has been absent on this earth. It is a fard on every Muslim to live under the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if, we, if, there, if it does not exist, to work for it. So this duty is not the job of Hizb al-Tahrir alone. So alhamdulillah, there are movements that have sprung up over the years. So those brothers who might have different thinking than us, different ideas about how to bring it about, we work, we interact, we cooperate with them. There are many issues that unite us and divide us. We will not agree on anything, on everything. And that's not a problem. That is not a problem. We will not agree on everything as Muslims. The Sahaba did not agree on everything. The great Imams, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, Imam Abu Hanifa, did not agree on anything. But that Islam, one of my brothers who just passed away, one of, one of our members just passed away, brother from Syria, he used to say, Al-Khilafa ikamatuddin wa tawheedul muslimin. That the Khilafa established the deen and unites the Muslims. Every Muslim can unite on this. So the Khilafa is the project of the Ummah. So we as the Hizb, we reach out to shayuk groups, leaders of groups, members of groups all over the world. The conference we had in London a few weeks ago, we reached out to get two speakers from other groups right. to come and address the conference. Because, and, and here's the point Muslims doesn't miss. I stress again, this is not the project of his, this is the Ummah's project. So everybody who has talent can speak, can contact people, has contact with powerful people who are their relatives, who will listen to them, whose hearts will be turned by them. Bismillah. Take what we say, what you agree with, carry it, convey it, be part of this work. So that has always been our operandum. Yes, we're a hizab with a specific method, work in a certain way, but that we work with other Muslims wherever they are in every land. Um, I was invited to Indonesia. That's where I got this shirt from. I spoke at a conference with 100,000 people in a stadium. I'm not Indonesian. So whether you're from another country, whether you're from another group, on these big issues, we can work together as Muslims. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Um, 
Um, I think that the more that you travel, the more that you see how vast the Ummah is. And I'm talking about, just as you mentioned, Indonesia, uh, Pakistan, all throughout the Middle East, India. I'm going to say that, you know, um, we may not agree on everything. For example, do you wear your pants above your ankles or not? Um, do, do we say that the most important thing is Khilafah or not? Do we say, look, at the end of the day, we got major issues. We can sit around over a cup of tea and we can discuss those issues. But even with my wife, I don't agree with her on everything. She doesn't agree with me on everything. But as long as we've got these core principles, I think that there's a lot that we can accomplish. I'm, I'm sure that there isn't a person who's watching this video that would say, I agree totally all 100% with my wife. But that doesn't mean that you can't raise good children. Do you see? Yep, as long absolutely. as that foundation is there. Now, I'm bringing this up for a minute. I want to just pause for a second because I want to take a look at this. Um, here's one comment. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bilal, do you think it's good to give um, Hizb uh, al-Tahriya, uh, a very controversial jama'at, your platform? Okay, now um, I want to go to another uh, uh, comment that's here also. That says, uh, it's got something written in Hebrew. That's interesting. Why did you invite Hizb Tahrir member? Okay, and we've got one more here um, that says, you don't give yourself a stand by inviting these groups. Okay, um, I'm not going to comment. I'm going to let you comment on, on these uh, three comments. What would you say to these people? They're watching uh, in regard to those three comments. We're Muslims. If you, if somebody doesn't know Hizb al-Tahrir, maybe you've never met a member, or maybe they've heard things, my advice with you is we're a global movement. We have members in the Middle East, Egypt, Sudan, Pakistan, Palestine, Bangladesh. We have members in Southeast Asia. We have members in Indonesia, in Malaysia, members across the world. Um, as a Muslim, if you have a question, bismillah. We have conferences. We have online forums. I'm online. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I just signed up to TikTok. These are avenues to question, debate, ask us questions. And that is what we encourage each other as Muslims. And what we would warn uh, Muslims not to do is take information from the regimes. A group of people who have attacked the Hizb from the day Hizb al-Tahrir was formed in 1953 have been the Muslim government in the Muslim world and their stooges. And some of those stooges have been Muslim scholars, unfortunately. Because when we call for unity, we are saying the border between Jordan and Saudi should be removed. So the Jordanian government has put propaganda against us. The Saudi government put propaganda against us. And unfortunately, you have scholars, scholars who defend these regimes, who then put lies. But really, you know, a Muslim can evaluate things for himself. Muslims are not stupid. You can hear what I say. You can look at anything that Hezbollah Tahrir has said. You can have questions about it. You can come and debate and question us to clarify, to explain ourselves. That is out there. We are not a group that's un, you know, unseen, unknown. Nobody knows us. No, we're out there. So if you have questions, bismillah. Um, in terms of uh, the, the, the scholars, really, I would ask people to question those scholars. I'd even say so-called scholars. I mean, we have scholars today who defend the Saudi regime. MBS, MBS has jailed scholars. He's jailed khatibs. He's murdered people, subhanAllah. Scholars who call for the Sharia, who are against the secular regime that they, they want to bring into the, the, the land of the Hejaz and Najid, he's jailing them. And yet we find some Muslims who defend him. So the vast majority of Muslims can see through 
all of this, the rule, the rulers are doing and their supporters. Unfortunately, there may be some Muslims here and there who are still taken by it. Um, if there are, Bismillah, come and engage with us. Connect with me after this, inshallah. And you know, I really see that the the future's bright. Now, a lot of people are going to sit there and say, Bismillah, what are you talking about? We've got uh, the situation with the Rohingya. We've got the situation uh, with the uh, 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 the East Turkestanis. We've got Syria. We've got the dismal situation with Mohammed bin Salman mm. out there in Saudi Arabia. And then you've got the Nahyan family um, out in the United Arab Emirates uh, basically throwing money at whoever wants to put down any type of Islamic activism. Yes, this is true. However, what I have seen is that there are a lot of good people who are out there who really want to work for the sake of Islam. But um, there isn't enough Islamic leadership. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about Gaddafi right now, because I think that that's several stages um, in, in the future. But right now, people who may be watching this, what do we have to start doing so that we have a type of leadership where we can start getting things done? For example, you just had a conference. Now, there had to be leadership for that conference or it would never would have happened. So what has to take place in your estimation right here, right now, for us to have leadership in small venues and then it comes together? What's your idea? Brother Bilal, I, I'm going to, I have a different take on an issue, on something you just said. Because you said um, it's, it, it, you know, the Khilafah is something, you know, maybe in a few years time. And actually, this this is something that 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 we we say let's 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 slow down and think about this. The victory is from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. The situation we are in today, the Muslims before us would not have imagined it. They would have thought Muslims divided fifty something different countries. No, 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 it can't happen. Change comes like that. A few, bro, January twenty twenty two. Very few people in the world believe that Russia would invade Ukraine. Believe that in August 2022, we would say that's a reality. So when we look at things and people think this is impossible, this is too far away, who says the Khilafah cannot be established in a Muslim country tomorrow? The Muslim Ummah is calling for unity. The Muslim Ummah feels as one. When Palestine is attacked, Muslims are on the streets in Syria and Lebanon in all these countries. So the awakening of the Ummah has been happening for the last few decades, alhamdulillah. The Dawah and the call for Khilafah was a very new call in the 1950s, in the 1960s. But now we're talking about it. When I was growing up, this was a, a new call. But then I came across it. And I've been in Dawah, alhamdulillah, for a few decades now. Globally, the Muslim Ummah everywhere wants unity, wants the return of the Sharia, and the Sharia is implemented by the Khilafah. So we're in a race in the Muslim world globally. Just as the Muslim rulers were removed during the Arab Spring, one ruler removed here or there, if a ruler falls in a land tomorrow and the people who take over declare it as the Khilafah and start to apply the Sharia, we have the Khilafah. So that could happen like that. It could be tomorrow. It could be in two days' time. It could be in 20 days' time. It could be in 200 days' time. It could be in 20 weeks' time. It could be in two years' time. My point is I really want us to get away from this thing of this is something so far away. Says who? That Syria would be... That the situation in Syria would exist today. My, my friends who went to study Arabic in Syria 20-whatever years ago, if you said to them, Syrians would rise up. Syrians would rise up against Bashar. People say, nah, nah, nah. Syrians, never. 
So mm. this, I really want to, um, you know, I, I understand where it comes from, that things look so bleak, things look so far away. There is a global work that's going on. There is a momentum. If we are part of it, we call for the Khilafah. So wherever Muslims are, whenever, here's a practical thing. Wherever Muslims are, number one, any issue that we face, challenge the non-Islamic solutions and bring the Islamic solution, the Khilafah. There's poverty in Pakistan, IMF, inflation. Talk about Islamic economics, and that Islamic economics is implemented by the Khilafah. When you do that over health, poverty, liberation of Palestine, you're putting in the Muslim ummah, whenever we face problems, the sharir of Allah has solutions. Whenever we face an issue, Islam has solutions. Whenever we face problems, the Khilafah is what implements the Islamic solutions. So people desire it. They call for it. They talk for it in their gatherings, at the wedding gatherings with their friends. And when this word reaches some powerful people in one of our lands, the way it reached the Ansar, who came from Yathrib, and those powerful people say, tomorrow, we're going to move. We're going to kick this ruler out. And they will kick the ruler out, and inshallah, the Khilafah is established. So this can happen overnight, but we need to plant the seeds every day until the day it happens, inshallah. Inshallah. Look, I've got a question here. Um... Uh, we've got here, um, Abu Abdullah, I think there's a comment here, who says, I believe many Muslims making hijrah is the only proactive route for the ummah, building up our economies rather than the economies of the kufar we've been doing. Um, I think I can agree with that statement, but um, I have a problem with one part of it, which is our economies. Our leaders are not working for our interests. So I'm, I'm going to struggle with this one because they're going to take it as building up the economy to strengthen an already tyrannical ruler. So I guess it becomes a thing of which do you put forward first, the horse or the cart? In addition to that, what we Muslims need to appreciate is that in our countries, Pakistan, Bangladesh, the Arab world, what is the system of economy that exists there? It is the global capitalist system. We have replicated, borrowed the same way we borrowed nationalism, the same way in economic matters, they don't look to the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ushur Kharaj Jizya. So I just reached over. This is a book that I'm going back to right now. Yeah? Amwal fil dawlat al-khilafah. Funds in the khilafah state. This was written by our second Amir Sheikh Abdul Kadim Zaloum. So yes. in Islam, how do you collect revenue? What is the role of the Baytul Mal? What is a currency from the Sharia? What is the definition of currency? Um, how do you collect revenues? Haraj or Shurjizya and the other word. We have taxes on wealth, not an income. The capitalist system, they tax income. Before my salary gets into my pocket, the government takes it, P-A-Y-E. In Islam, you look after your needs. If you have wealth left over and you qualify for one of the taxes, that's when you're taxed. So many, many issues about trade, about taxes on trade, all these issues, how do you fund a state? Hizb al-Tahrir, for example, and other scholars, even before the Hizb, have written about this. Now, this is hidden from us. So when my brother says the economy, what you need is in a state, you need a ruler who implements the rules of the Sharia related to trade and related to the economy. So the economy is linked, our, our currency is linked to gold and silver, the bimetallic standard, yeah? The dinar and the dirham, based on the Sharia rules. That will give you stability. So you don't have inflation and things going up and down as we see in the capitalist system. You have taxation of wealth. Therefore, 
what you do is you leave money in people's pockets. So people have spending power. And when they spend, that leads to circulation, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in Surah Al-Hashr. So when you implement these rules, you generate a new way. Our problem, my brother, is we got to think outside the box. Right. In our lands today, when we see economy, when we say economy, when we say the nation state, there's a box. And all our thinking, how do we solve these problems, is within that box. And we have to say to Muslims, we need to liberate our minds. Take the box off. Take the lid off. And we need to go back to the Quran, the Sunnah. Islam was a state. The Khilafah state existed for over 1,300 years. How did it survive? How did it trade? Foreign relations, health, welfare, jihad. All of it is there. It just needs to be taken and applied. So when you have a ruler in a state, Pakistan is an example. You have a ruler there who says, I'm going to implement the Sharia. He will no longer take loans from the IMF and the World Bank because that loan has riba and is a form of slavery. He will link the currency to gold and silver. That will bring stability in the currency and the crazy inflation we have today. He will make sure that we start to produce things locally, even if that is through hardship, rather than importing food from abroad. Food. Egypt imports food. Pakistan, Bangladesh import food. So that means you are at the whim. The Western Kufan nations have us there. The Khilafah will bring independence. When you implement Islam, it pushes independence. Because you're an ummah that needs to look after his people and then carry Islam through Dawah and Jihad to mankind. It needs to be an example. So all of this is possible. When my brother says the economy, the economy is one area if you implement the Sharia rule. So you need a state. So it comes back to the same issue, my brother. If you have a state, the state will... It has to be a state, bro, because you know what will happen today? Since the last 20 years, 20 20 or so years, people have been talking about Islamic economics. And the, oh, brother, in Malaysia, we've got Islamic economics. In this place, the reality is today, many people are questioning this Islamic economics. Because what they found is, um, brother Bilal, this is a phrase you're going to know very, very well, bro. Because, because, alhamdulillah, because where where you're from. This is a, a phrase the Americans talk about, lipstick on a pig. (laughs) Yeah, we do talk about it. Lipstick. Yeah, lipstick on a pig. If you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Still so a pig. In, the, in, in these countries, people set up countries, many Muslims who are very well-meaning, very sincere, mm-hmm. and they want, they want to implement Islam, they want the Sharia. They said, okay, we're going to set up some Islamic banks. Okay, they set up some Islamic banks. But the state regulator regulates the banks. The state regulator decides you have contracts with Riba. And then some scholars came along and took the contracts with Riba and they renamed them and gave them fancy Arabic names. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the reality of these contracts, it, it violates the Sharia contract. You're mixing different parties. What they call partnership is not really partnership. It is not partnership in the Sharia sense. And so 20 years later, many Muslims are saying, these contracts, we were sold out. These contracts, these are the Western contracts, most of them, with Islamic names, because there is an authority which is regulating everything, which is implementing a Western secular liberal politics and economy over a Muslim ummah. We need to remove that. You need to have an Islamic authority that implements Islamic rule. Okay, so, we so if, we're saying, um, if we're saying we agree with you, we agree with this idea, this principle, but right now at this time, realistically speaking, that we don't have the ability to change that today. But I think what we do have the ability to do is to come together to form maybe even smaller uh, groups of people. Talking about, see, I'm, I'm talking from northern Syria. There are about 5,000 Muhajirin who came to help the Syrian people. Um, they could form their own 
uh, a little society within the society um, with their own leadership. What do you think about that? That doesn't necessarily mean you okay. have to work against the state, but could but forming that uh, that unity within the state while not working against it. What do you okay. think? I, I think it, it, this is actually a, quite a good point. Um, number one, that's a good example you've given. From the Sharia, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ We're here to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whenever we're in any situation, it's time to pray. We pray the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. Fasting the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. Looking after your family, my family. Looking after your husband, your wife. Dealing in your mosque and forming a mosque committee. The school your children go to. In any issue that we face in life, our reference point has to be the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So if Muslims somewhere have some authority in whatever limited capacity, the obligation on them is to follow the Sharia rules within their capacity. So as you said, people in northern Syria or anywhere else, in Somalia or somewhere, they need to follow the Sharia rules as much as they can. This is a duty upon them. That does not mean it is a state. The Khilaf of state, the Khilaf is defined as what? The general leadership of the Muslims globally. The Khilaf is a state with all the power and apparatus of a state that rules over a land. That's the Khilaf. That's the state. But if Muslims are in northern Syria, in some other, in some village, they have to implement whatever they can of the Sharia. They have to, they want to trade, they need to leave, shun the non-Islamic trading, shun riba. Even me, living in the West, I can't say I live in the West and there's riba, no, I can indulge in it. So here's a principle from Islam, wherever you are, whatever's within your capability, you need to follow the Sharia as much as you can. So that, that, that's the first point, which I hope people don't misunderstand. But I sure. think that what we're saying is that th- that is not the same as having a dola. Dola, the Prophet wasallam established dola Islamiyah when he entered Medina and you had the powerful people, the Ahlul Nusra, who stood in the society in their battle skins. They sent a message to the rest of the society. This man is coming here on day one. He's entering here as a ruler. He will be the guy in charge. From today, the rules that will be implemented is the Sharia from Allah. The dispute to be settled according to his Sharia. The jihad will be as he says. So he was a state with authority that could protect the state and started to implement all the rules. So the Khilafah is a state. We have states today, these modern states. Realistically, what will happen is that one of those states, the ruler will fall. Egypt, Sudan, Jordan. In that state, the powerful people who remove that ruler will then declare to the Ummah, we have appointed Mr. X, Abdul Karim, Abdul Musa, whatever his name is. This is now the Khalifa of the Ummah, and they will give him bayah. And from that point onwards, the rules start to change. Abolish the non-Islamic rules, abolish interest, remove the borders, and then call upon the Muslims next door. This is your Khalifa, you're part of me. We should unite. And this is where Brother, my, my really one strong point I want to make here, you said, what do we do today? Me and you and your audience, we need to be farmers. We need to be farmers. The farmer has a result in mind. He has an objective in mind. I want to see my plants, my f- crops grow, the corn, the wheat. That's the objective. We want the khirafa. We want the fruits from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who brings the sun to help it reach that objective? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who sends the rain? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the farmer can't sit at home and say, I want, I want great fruits, but I'm going to do nothing. 
He goes out every day. He plants the seeds. He puts the seed in the ground. He waters it. He removes the weeds, the non-Islamic ideas, nationalism that divides us. He challenges them. He puts the fertilizer and the good stuff. Islam, Sharia, Khilafah, he calls for it. He's a champion for it. And that catches fire amongst the Muslims. The Muslims everywhere saying, we agree with you, brother. Not because of you, because this is what Allah said. Until okay. the day some powerful people believe that and can establish the Khilafah in one of the lands, inshallah. Okay, there's a comment here that I'd like for you to comment on because uh, I think this sentiment is widely felt. And it says, uh, this guy is very smart, but there, there are too many trials and tribulations. So many people are secular. Hardly anyone prays. I don't agree. I agree there are trials and tribulations, but this is not Jannah. If we think that this is Jannah, we should pack up, Brother Bilal, pack up your show. No need to do this OGN. No need for us to be involved in Dawah. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. We're in Jannah. Yeah? We're, there is something called this dunya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us in the Quran. Do people think we just leave them alone just to say we believe and that's it? This is a life of struggle. The Sahaba struggled. The Muslims before us struggled to establish Islam, to live by Islam, to carry Islam to mankind. That's why we're Muslims today, because of the efforts of some great men and women before us, seeking Allah's Jannah. But it's our turn. We're on the stage now. We are alive. And tomorrow, I'm going to exit the stage. You're going to exit the stage. What are we going to show to Allah? What did we do in our time? It's our time to work, to mobilize the Ummah, to call for Islam, and to make dua for Allah's help. So number one, I would say that, look, life is tribulations. That's fine. That's, that's normal. What do we do in those tribulations is to work and pray for Allah's victory. Convince people, mobilize people, join this almost project. Call, join this call for Khilafah. Join this call for Sharia. Join this call for unity. In your groups, in your ummah, in your homes, when you travel back home to Sudan, to Egypt, call for it amongst your relatives. Let them argue back and say, no, we don't want Khilafah. You be the advocate. You be the one who plants the seeds and convince people. So don't just say, I can't just say, my brother, my sister, whoever asked this question, that things are so bad, therefore. Number two, people are secular. Of course, people, some people are secular, not all the Muslims. Brother Bilal, people are watching your show from all over the Muslim world. People are supporting you from all over the Muslim world. They are not Syrians. Some of them are Arab, they're non-Arab, they're Bangladeshi, they're Rohingyas. There is an awakening in the Ummah that has been taking place for the last 20, 30, 40 years. We've come from somewhere. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. We need to keep going. So we need to keep going until the victory comes. So that is the work of the believer. And we make dua, Allah makes us sincere for this call. Work for it. Join this project. Sharia, Ummah, Khilafah. Call for this. Understand it. Till the day it will be established in one land. And that day will come soon. It can come like that. For Allah... For Allah, kun, he says, be and it is. So mm-hmm. don't be sad. Don't, don't feel, oh, things are so bad. Just work. That's all we got to do. And may Allah make us sincere for it. Amin. Amin. Well, look, um, we're just about out of time. We're going to have to leave it here. Um, look, uh, if you have any more uh, conferences coming up, we're going to want to know about it uh, so we can let the people know. Um, we've been here. Uh, with Taji Mustafa, he is a prominent member of Hizb Tahrir 
in the United Kingdom. Uh, Tadji, I want to thank you for coming on, man. Uh, I'd like to thank you and all the brothers. I know it's, not, I know it's you and you've got a whole team behind you. Um, I'd like to thank you and the brothers, the job you're doing. And I tell people here, I say to them, OGN News is broadcasting out of Syria. They are doing Dawah and spreading the message for this Ummah. And we are in all over the Muslim world. What are we doing? There's a lot that we all can do for the cause of this deen and unity and sharia and the khilafah. May Allah strengthen us. Thank you very much for having me, my brother. And inshallah, bidnillah, we'll meet again, inshallah. Inshallah, we will. Um, brothers and sisters from around the world, we want to thank you for joining us. I am Bilal Abdul Kareem for OGN, and we have been with Taji Mustafa. Jazakumullah khaira wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sira are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.